Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, I'd like to just chat for a moment about fractals. Fractals. They sound like a new sort of lolly, don't they? They're not. Uh, fractals are, in fact, geometric shapes, quite complicated shapes and patterns. But the interesting thing about them is that although they look really complicated, they are actually formed from very simple rules which get repeated over and over and over again. So, for example, if we take a triangle, just an everyday triangle with equal lengths like that, but then you divide it into four smaller triangles. And we haven't done anything very complicated. We've just drawn a line between sort of the middle of each of the sides of the triangle. But then you repeat that step again and again and again and again. Now, we're actually, this is actually a very famous example. It's called a Sapinski triangle. They've actually done research and they reckon that if you do this sort of doodling on a piece of paper, it's a really effective stress release. But all I want you to note, don't try it during the talk, all I want you to note is that we're actually just repeating something that's very simple, but we're becoming increasingly complicated in the pattern that's developing. Theoretically, a mathematician would tell you that you could keep going forever. You, we've got an infinitely complicated pattern, but it's just the result of something very simple process being repeated. Now, believe it or not, scientists get really excited about this sort of stuff because fractals, which is what these are, they occur in nature. So the shape of a snowflake is formed this way. The shape of a fern, uh, uh, the shape of a fern plant is explained this way. The shape of the spirals that you get inside a seashell is explained this way. This is how they're formed. The shape of vegetables like cauliflower and broccoli, which is there, they're explained by this process where you actually get really beautiful shapes, intricate shapes, but they are produced from very simple rules that are just being repeated time and time and time again. Now, you're probably feeling as if you're trapped in a science classroom just at the moment. Sorry about that. The, <laughs> the reason we're going through all of this is because in the book of Proverbs, what God wants us to appreciate is that living this life is a bit like that process of a really complex thing, but it comes about out of simple rules that you just keep repeating. Because at first glance, living this life is a very complicated process, isn't it? Some days you get out of bed and life is so complicated that it can seem overwhelming. But what Proverbs wants us to appreciate is that as complicated as life gets, you can actually get through it. And you can get through it well with just a few simple guidelines that just need to keep working out in each and every situation. And that's what I hope we're going to discover from this big central section of Proverbs that runs all the way from chapter 10 through to chapter 29. That's the section we're looking at. It's chock full with literally hundreds, if not thousands, of pithy little one-word Proverbs that are all thrown together with no apparent order, are they? Chapter 20, which Warwick just read for us, we just read that as a typical example of what the whole section is like as you get all these sayings that jump from one subject to the next subject to the next subject, and they cover almost a bewildering number of topics. So can I say up front that, it, that it is, it's a silly thing to do, really, or this whole section in just one talk? 
All I want us to do, though, is to discover a way into it by taking in the big patterns and the big overarching idea that hangs it all together. This is very much a morning where um, we're going to be looking at the forest and not the trees. If you want to look at some specific trees, by the way, can I suggest the tape library? Because about five, six years ago, Paul did a series of talks where he took a topical approach and he pulled together all the, all the material in Proverbs that says things about the way we should speak, for example, or the way we should operate at work, or the friendships we should make, uh, the way we should exercise ourselves sexually. He pulled together a topical approach, which is a really helpful thing to do. It's not what I'm doing this morning. This morning we're going to take a low-level flight over the whole landscape of this middle section so as to see the big pattern. Because the comfort of this section is that God is saying, no matter how complicated life can feel, you can get through it. And you can get through it well. It's just a matter of keeping a few simple guidelines and applying them over and over again. What are the guidelines? Well, I reckon Proverbs suggests three. And the first one is a foundation for the other two. Have a look at the screen in the following examples. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honour. Through love and faithfulness sin is attained for, through fear of the Lord a man avoids evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Humility in the fear of the Lord brings wealth and honour and life. Do not let your hearts envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with the rebellious. Now you get the feeling that Proverbs is trying to tell us something here? Or more accurately, you get the feeling that it's trying to remind us of something? It's exactly what we discovered last week. This is the centrepiece of the whole book. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if last week's emphasis in chapters 1 to 9 wasn't enough, in this middle section, Proverbs just keeps peppering the chapters with all these reminders that we must fear God. There is no way you're going to get the most out of this life if you haven't got the perspective right between, the, between you and the one who gave you this life. And no matter how complicated living can feel, the starting point, the foundational building block for being the best person you can be, it is always by humbly coming to terms with how powerful and holy God is. Fear God. Fear him. But as crucial as that foundation is, we need to move on because uh, it is something we thought about last week, but also having set that principle down, having laid that foundation... Proverbs now wants to build a framework on top of it. And it builds, firstly, a framework of obligations, things we must do if we fear God. And so what you find is through this big, long middle section of Proverbs, it's got lots and lots of sayings where value judgments are made, uh, sayings where one thing is said to be better than another thing, sayings where certain types of behaviour are declared to be good and other types of behaviour are declared to be bad. Uh, sayings where they say a righteous person does this but a wicked person does this for example consider the following 
The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked bring them death, bring them punishment. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Now, do you see things are being given here a value judgment? Something is right and something is wrong. Something God likes, something God hates. Something gets rewarded, something gets punished. Better a little with righteousness than much with injustice. Again, it's a value judgment. This is better than this. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A false witness will not go unpunished and he who pours out lies will not go free. Now I want you to notice that even though there's a few different topics covered there, they are linked by the idea that one thing is good and the other thing is bad. One thing is better than this. One thing is punished, the other is rewarded. In other words, what we've got here are obligations that follow directly from fearing God. What we've got here are issues of right and wrong. And in just in those few examples, you've got things like being patient and holding your temper is a right thing. Being honest in your business dealings is a right thing. Not lying is a right thing. And if we had time, we could track the chapters through and we'd find lots of other obligations. Things about being loving and generous to people. Things about showing friendship and being loyal. Things like justice and righteousness and personal integrity, as Warwick was mentioning. These are the sorts of things that are not optional extras for the person who fears God. These things come as standard in the base model of fearing God. And so questions of, um, do I lie to get myself out of a bit of trouble at work or at school? Questions about, well, do I give someone a hard time behind their back? Questions about, well, will I speed because it's really late at night and there's hardly anyone around and I'm not going to get caught, the police aren't out. Questions about, um, do I exaggerate on my tax return? Do I illegally copy music off the net? Do I flirt with someone who's not my marriage partner? For the person who fears God, these are no-brainers. They are obligations that directly follow or else you don't fear God. And what Proverbs does is it parades a whole heap of these across a whole heap of scenarios, from kings to peasants to farmers to merchants to masters to servants to men to women to young to old, and it applies it across a whole lot of scenarios from how you control your tongue to how you behave at a table to how you make your decisions to how you spend your money to how you express your sexualities. It makes the point that if you fear God, it's going to touch down on every aspect of your life. For God is not the house guest of your life. He is the owner-occupier. And if you fear God, it will touch down in, a whole, in every area of your life where you will be compelled, obligated, to live out issues of justice and mercy and love and faithfulness and purity. And Proverbs doesn't want this to be a burden. This is actually something of great help, friends. For it's helping us to see that in all the complexities of life and all the choices that we make, there really are, in fact, just a couple of of simple issues which, if you consistently apply them, they will help you be the best person you can possibly be. 
Am I fearing God? Well, if I am, what therefore am I obligated to do? But it doesn't end there. Because you see, overlaid on top of all of this, Proverbs wants to add one more layer. It actually wants us to provide us with a lot of other sayings, but sayings now which are not so much obligations as they are observations. And by that I mean these are sayings which simply describe the way things are. For example, have a look at these examples. The poor is disliked even by his neighbour, but the rich has many friends. It is bad, it is bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now what I want you to notice there is that in those sayings there is now no moral judgment being made. They are simply saying that this is how it is. They're not saying one thing is wrong and one thing is right. They're not saying that just because rich people seem to have more friends than poor people that that's a good thing. It's not saying that just because someone when they're buying something they make out that wow, this is so much money to buy for this but then they go away and say what a great bargain. It's not saying that that's a good thing. It's not saying it's a bad thing. It's just saying that's a regularity of life. That's the way it happens. That's the way it often happens. But it's not the way it always happens. I'm sure many of us know examples where children have been trained up in the way they should go and yet they depart from it. Because what we have to appreciate is that in these sorts of sayings where there is no moral judgment uh, uh, being made, value judgment being made, They are observations, not obligations. They're not always true. Now, we noticed this a couple of weeks back with the extra example from uh, Proverbs 26. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And we noticed that in the space of two sentences, the exact opposite advice is given. Don't answer a fool, you'll be wasting your breath. Do answer a fool or else they'll never learn. And Proverbs deliberately puts them right next to each other to show that they're observations. They're not absolute rules that always come true. These are generalisations. These are rules of thumb about what often happens, usually happens. And that's one of the things you've got to keep your wits about you as you're reading through Proverbs. Is the saying have a a value judgment in it or is it simply explaining the way things are in the world? Because observations aren't universal but they are useful, very useful. And the ones in Proverbs are ingenious and insightful and they again are helping us see that despite the complexities of life, if you repeat just a few key steps and apply them, you will be helped through foundation, obligation, observation. Am I fearing God? What therefore must I do? And then, what observations of life help me to fine-tune that decision so that I can implement it in the most effective and productive way? What are the regularities of life that will help me implement my decision the best possible way. And look, it's at this level that we sometimes got to weigh up one observation over the other, haven't we? Like that example in chapter 26. Uh, sometimes you answer a fool, sometimes you don't. 
You've got to weigh up that. But this whole framework that Proverbs is erecting, it helps us in that process. Because fearing God will mean that you will fear him more than the foolish person in front of you, no matter how intimidating or powerful they might be. And so if something does need to be said, you're going to say it because you will fear God, not man. But then we've also got obligations of loving other people no matter what. And that's going to affect how we're thinking about the situation because we'll always be driven by what is best for the other person. And so if they need to hear something to help them be a better person, we'll be prepared to say it. Or perhaps we'll be prepared not to say it because we're obligated not to say things out of anger or out of revenge or simply wanting to win the argument. And so you see, this, this framework of thinking which Proverbs is putting together, it's very helpful. It's exactly like those patterns that we talked about at the beginning. Complex-looking things, but they're a result of very quite simple steps. And friends, Proverbs wants to comfort you with the fact that although living this life can seem really complex, you can manage it. You can do well at it by simply applying some simple guidelines over and over again. Foundation, obligation, observation. Do I fear God? What therefore must I do? And thirdly, once you've figured out what is the right and the wrong thing to do, what are the regularities of life? What are the observations that will help me most effectively put that decision into action? Friends, it is a deceptively simple process, but it is profound. It is the genius of Proverbs to help us through life. But let me close with something that's even more helpful, something even more comforting. Because Proverbs is in the Old Testament, isn't it? You did notice that. And a few things have happened since the Old Testament. Jesus Christ has come. He has brought us new life through his death and resurrection. We now live in the kingdom of the Son. We live in the age of the Spirit. And so for us as Christians, overlaid on top of even all of this, is the radical news that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has poured out his Spirit into us, enabling us to live this out so that we really can be the best people that we can possibly be. A couple of years back in Cambridge, there was a famous painting by Reuben uh, that was vandalised with paint. And the next day, a notice appeared next to this painting which said, it is believed that this masterpiece can be restored to its original condition. And friends, as Christians, this side of the cross, it's as if you and I can have this sign round our neck. This masterpiece is being restored. God is doing that in you. And so the God whom we rightly fear, he's also our father. And because of Jesus, despite his awesome holiness and power, we have a staggering intimacy with God. And we can come into his presence and ask him for help about anything. In the New Testament, James puts it this way. If any of us lack wisdom, simply ask for it. And our father will give it generously without finding fault. And the Apostle Paul prays for Christians living in Ephesus, Christians like you and I, and he prays that our glorious Father would give us the spirit of wisdom so that we might know God even better. 
And to the Philippians he prays that they'd abound in their understanding and wisdom so that they'll be able to discern what is always the best thing to do. And so, friends, what you see is that even even with this great wisdom out of Proverbs, we have even more. We live in the age of the Spirit. We have the confidence that we can live this life to the full. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say that it's always smooth sailing. The Bible never says that it's putting yourself on automatic pilot. You've still got to use our minds, still got to weigh up options, still got to do hard thinking. But we get to do all of those with a sense of confidence and a sense of adventure. Because the God whom we fear, rightly, is also our Father. And Jesus is our Saviour. And the Spirit, He's our guide. Now you just don't get any better help in life than that. Well, let's pray. And since it's our closing prayer, please stand.